0: Thanks, everyone. Brilliant. Well, um, today I've got the privilege of uh, speaking to you about the greatest story that's ever been told. And uh, I'd love us just to pray as we uh, open God's word together. Lord, we just, Father, we thank you for this story that we're going to look at today. We thank you for the privilege of hearing this story. Not everyone has heard this story, God. We thank you for the privilege that we get to hear it. Some for the first time, some for the uh, umpteenth time. But we have the privilege of hearing this story. And we thank you, Father, for the truth that's in it. And we pray that it would impact our hearts powerfully. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So as we... Prepare for Easter. We're going to look at the greatest story ever told. And we're looking through the passion story through Mark's gospel, starting in Mark chapter uh, 14. And uh, Mark uh, gives us an eyewitness account, one of the four gospels. Uh, he was known uh, to be one of the closest followers of Jesus. He was actually uh, um, there himself for many of the events, but also he was one of the closest followers of uh, Peter. And uh, Peter was Jesus' uh, one of the three closest followers friends. And so we've got an incredible story here, an eyewitness account of the things that happened concerning Jesus, both Mark's, uh, what he saw, and Peter, what he saw, condensed into this one account. And normally, with a long passage like this that we're going to look at, I would summarize the story just for the sake of time. But as I was looking at it, I was thinking, I just can't summarize this. This is so rich and so... um, Amazing that I just want us to read it together to so let the text speak for itself, so i 'm hoping today that whether you 've been a Christian for many years or whether you 're not yet a follower of jesus you 're just looking into these things i 'm hoping that as we read this story together, it will come alive to you again with fresh eyes. You will see why this is the greatest story that has ever been told, and i 'm hoping that the Lord will speak to you through it and and we 'll see together I believe why this story has affected billions of people and why I believe it's Im- it has impact on the life of every person who has ever lived or ever will live. It's that good a story. And uh, uh, the title I've given this message is Sacrifice, Betrayal, and Covenant, which is uh, an impressive title in itself, I thought. <laughs> Sacrifice, Betrayal, and Covenant. So let's read it together. You can, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 14. And uh, we'll pick it up at verse 1. It should be on the screen behind me. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. I'll explain what that is uh, later on. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon a man who had previously had leprosy. Jesus had healed him of his leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. They scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. On the first day of the festival on leavened Bread, when the Passover lamb was sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. That was a a very unusual sight because women were the ones who carried the water in this day. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. This is where you should prepare our meal. So... The two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the evening, Jesus arrived with the twelve disciples. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one? Am I the one? He replied, It is one of you twelve who is eating with me from this bowl. For the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his own people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. They sang a hymn and they went to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night... Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. You'll deny that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even for one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. Your spirit is willing, but your body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. They didn't know what to say. When he returned to them a third time, he said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But no. The time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with a sword and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. One of the men who Jesus pulled out one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Uh, the, the other gospels tell us that was Peter. When, then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man following behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. And when the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. Interestingly, none of the other Gospels have that little section. Church history tells us that was Mark who was writing this story, that he was most likely that man. That's why he remembered it. They took Jesus to the high priest's home, where the leading priests, the elders and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard Then he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I'll build another made without human hands. But even then, they couldn't get their stories straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror, and said, why do we need other witnesses? You've all heard this blasphemy. What's your verdict? Guilty, they cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by, I noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw, there, saw him standing there, she began to tell the others, this man was definitely one of them, but Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and he wept. Whoa. Sacrifice, betrayal, covenant, an ear being chopped off, a guy running away naked. It's all there, isn't it? The greatest story ever told. So many things that we could say. I want to look at three aspects of this story that we can draw out. And the first is sacrifice. Jesus was about to make the greatest sacrifice to go to the cross. That's the beginning, the setting for this story. And, and society tells us that the greatest love is a romantic love. The love uh, between those who come together in romance. And if, it's sing- if you're single, it tells you, if you haven't had that love, you're missing out. And if you've had it and lost it, it's the greatest tragedy of all. Uh, I was driving to the, my teenage son and his friends to youth group one night. And we got to talking about my ex-girlfriends before I met Caroline. And we were talking about the the breakups and what happened and they said, well, what, what happened when you broke up? What did you do? I said, oh, I would always play sad songs. And they said, well, what would you play? I said, oh, Phil Collins, without a doubt. <laughs> they were like, who is Phil Collins? I was like, who is Phil Collins? Who is Phil Collins? So I was like, oh, well. And so I had to put it on. Take a look at me now. <laughs> There's just an empty space. There's nothing left here to remind me Just the memory of your face So we played that And I wept and they laughed (laughs) As I went way back To Phil Collins and many hours of um, It's a a great song if you ever break break up Um, It really gets you there that's what society tells us, isn't it? If you're single, you're missing out on the greatest love. And, and if you're married, it says, well done, you've got that. And you know, the Bible has got lots of amazing things about marriage to say. And I love being married to, to Caroline. But you know what? The Bible is quite clear. Jesus is quite clear. Marriage is not the setting for the greatest love. This is what he said. The greatest love doesn't come in the context of marriage. It comes in the context of friendship. And it says this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. All of us, married or single, get to partake of the greatest love as we lay down our lives for one another. And you know what? We all get to partake of the greatest love because he laid down his life for us. All of us can enter into the greatest love of all. And and marriage is great and romantic, great, is great, is fantastic. But Jesus says there is a greater love that everyone can access. And it's the love of this a man laying down, a friend laying down his life for his friend. The ultimate sacrifice was being made. And this is the setting for it. And right before that, we see another sacrifice made. Mary, one of the followers of Jesus, brings a, a jar, an alabaster jar of pure Nard. Now, Nard was a, a very rare perfume which was made in North India. So you can imagine transporting it from North India to Israel in those days by foot donkey camel was going to be very, very expensive, which was why this jar was worth a year's wages. And as they were reclining to eat, and in those days they reclined to eat, which would give me terrible indigestion, but anyway, they seemed to get away with it. As they reclined to eat, it says Mary broke this year's wages worth of perfume over Jesus' head, and John actually says it was over his feet as well that she poured out this perfume, a sacrifice over Jesus. And some of the disciples resent it. They say, it's a waste. This sacrifice was a waste. It could have been spent in a better way. But Jesus says, no, she has done a good thing. In fact, he says, it is a beautiful thing that she has done. Because she has prepared me for burial. Did she even know what she was doing? Did she even understand the context of what was happening? I don't know. Maybe she glimpsed a part of it. But something within her was saying, I have seen the love of Christ. I've experienced who he is. And knowing Jesus is worth any sacrifice. Knowing him is worth any sacrifice. And so she was thinking, what have I I got? What can I bring to this one? What can I give to him And she gave her most, probably her most valuable possession and broke it and spent it on him. Knowing Jesus is worth any sacrifice, the love compelled her because she had seen Jesus. Have you seen him this morning? Have you seen who he is? Such that your heart cries out, knowing you is worth any sacrifice. Because he is the one who has sacrificed everything for you. You know, I've seen numbers of glimpses of this in my life. One story comes from when Caroline and I were ministering in the Middle East. And we uh, met this uh, lady who, uh, when she came to faith in Christ, her husband, it was a Muslim background situation, was so incensed that he took her to the Sharia court and told the court, my wife's become a Christian. And so that they tried her, because in their uh, society it's a capital offence to become a Christian or to convert from Islam to any other religion. So they tried her, and found her guilty. And so the judge says, "You're guilty of this offence. You'd admitted it. You're guilty of this offence, and so you uh, deserve to die. You're going to be put to death. I'm going to give you. You're going to be hung, but I'm going to give you ten minutes to recant your conversion and come back." And she said, I, I'm not going to recant. He said, I'm going to give you 10 minutes to think about it. So she gave her 10 minutes. She comes back in and said, will you recant? Can't? And she said, no, Jesus died for me. I'm willing to die for him. And so the judge says, I'm going to give you 10 more minutes to think about it. And she said, I, you can give me as long as you like. I will not change my mind. Jesus died for me. I'm willing to die for him. So the judge said, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. He goes out, comes back in again have you changed your mind? Will you recant? He's like, she said, no, I, I won't. He said, well, I've changed my mind. You're no longer going to be hung. You're going to be shot. And she said, well, to be honest, it doesn't make much difference, <laughs> but I won't change my mind. He said, I'm going to give you 10 more minutes to think about it. The husband said this is nuts. Why are you giving her any more time? She's she's shown that she's converted. It's evidence before the court. She's guilty of a capital offense. She should be put to death. The judge says, I'm going to give her some more time to think about it. I'm going to give her 10 more minutes. She says, no, I'm going to give you five minutes. She said, I've got two kids at home. I've got a busy day. Either you're going to put me to death or I'm leaving. I've given you five minutes. And so... They kind of waited for something to happen. Nothing happened, so she just picked up her handbag and walked out. <laughs> no one stopped her. No one stopped her leaving. The husband was so irate. He's like, what is coming to this country? She's committed a capital offence. You've tried her in front of all of you. And, and, and she's just walked out, and no one stopped her. What is going on, the judge said? What she has chosen may not be the wrong thing. He's like, what? What are you talking about? Anyway, he leaves absolutely irate. He didn't speak to his wife for two weeks. They lived in the same home, but he didn't speak to his wife for two weeks. And then one night in a dream, Jesus appeared to him. And he baptized him in the dream and said, I'm calling you to follow me. He woke his wife up at 2 a.m. and said, you were right, I was wrong. We heard this story from the husband. He was the one who told us the story. He was the one who told us how he and his wife had come to faith in Christ, had started a church, and then had to flee because of the persecution. Well, actually, that's not the reason I'm telling you the story. The reason is because we did a session on forgiveness, and this lady comes forward, and Caroline's praying with her, and she says, I I need to forgive my husband. And Caroline's like, because he kind of put you up to be executed. I I can totally understand that. (laughs) I think I'd have to forgive my husband too. And she said, no, 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 not because of that. She said, Christ died for me. I'm willing, I was willing to die for him. And then she listed off a whole lot of other annoying things that her husband did. She said, I've got to forgive him for those things, though. <laughs> Jesus was paving a way for a new type of community. A community that is led by one who sacrificed everything for us. Worship looks like sacrifice, where nothing is too great to lay down for the one who gave it all. That's what worship looks like. Some say, well, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice, so we don't have to. And you know what? There's some truth in that. We don't have to, but this is what Jesus said. Mark chapter 8, just a few chapters before. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any one of you wants to be my follower... You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. You don't have to. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm giving you an opportunity to lay aside things that won't count for eternity for something that will He's saying, Come follow me. It's not a popular message, it's not one that you hear talk very often, even in churches, but it's the call of Jesus on each one of us. Talking to another a lady who's got a friend from another culture, she sacrificed massively for the gospel. And her friends, she says, always says to, to people that she meets who are Christians. She says, I never ask them how they became a Christian. I ask them, what have you sacrificed for the sake of Christ? Because that's the call on each one of us. And we've got to be careful here because it's not sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice. A- ascetism uh, is, the, is the belief that if we, just, if we just sacrifice, we'll somehow get closer to God, and Christians have got th- into it through the centuries and become aesthetics in different ways. and people have, uh, have given up clothing and taken vows of prover- poverty and sleep deprivation and, and an extremely flagellation, standing on poles for years at a time, and e- even a uh, uh, kind of self-harm has been done under the name of this kind of belief. And typically they all go wrong because what happens is it's sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice. And that's not what's happening here. This woman, Jesus said, sacrificed to prepare him for burial. The sacrifice was for a reason. It was a sacrifice for a reason. It was an act of, of obedience to what the Lord was putting on her heart. And so she sacrificed for a reason, and that's what we're talking about in this place. Christ didn't just sacrifice himself for no reason. He sacrificed himself for a reason, a very specific reason, to save you and I. But now he calls us to follow him in the same way. Some, some see sacrifice as a wasteful thing. But knowing Jesus is worth any sacrifice, and Jesus sees the broken jar in this story, and he says, that's a beautiful thing. Others saw it and they said, it's a wasteful thing. The perfume's ruined. Jesus said, no, it's a beautiful thing. Sacrifice is a beautiful thing. And in fact, he said that story would be told. Sacrifice will receive a reward. Some uh, wonder what will happen with their sacrifice. You're making sacrifices, many of you, and no one sees it. No one knows it. But Jesus sees it all. And he said, it "Says to you today, as he said of Mary, it's a beautiful thing, and it will be rewarded in some way." Some of you might be saying, "Simon, what do I? What should I sacrifice?" I don't know. I don't know. That's for each one of us to come and take up our cross and say, Lord, knowing you is worth any sacrifice. I want to follow you. What's it for me? Some of you it will be money. Some of you it will be time. Some of it will be possessions. Some of you it will be even relationships or careers. I don't know what he's asking you to sacrifice. That's not my role. That's your role. Come follow me, says Jesus. Come build a community where love looks like sacrifice. Well, we are willing to lay down our lives for our friends. I was talking to a a couple last night, and they were telling me the story of just a horrendous year. Seven months of hell from one of their neighbors. Uh, Two family members passed away. Sickness, ill health, a false accusation at work. Absolutely horrendous year. What's their sacrifice? Just keep turning up. (laughs) Just keep saying, Jesus, you are worth it all. Jesus, I don't get it. I don't even understand it. But you are good and your love endures forever. Sometimes, some of you, you're in such tough seasons, your sacrifice is just to stand. Just to stand and worship and keep giving your love to God and keep loving him and and pouring out your praise to him because that's all you've got in the tank right now. Then that's a sacrifice worthy. Here today, and you've got just a broken jar then offer that jar to him because Jesus calls it a beautiful thing. This story is about sacrifice, but more than that, it's about betrayal. You know, I've had my fair share of betrayal. I've been lied about and gossiped about. I've had friends turn on me. I've had friends abandon me. I've had people that I've laid down my life for just walk away. I've had people that I've given advice to not take the advice and then blame me when it all goes wrong. I've had people that I've tried to help turn on me and make me the enemy. Numerous times, I've had people threaten to punch my lights out just when I was trying to love them and care for them. I've had betrayal on, in so many different forms, and I'm sure you have too. <laughs> I've talked with so many of you and heard your stories. So, a spouse who's given 30 years to somebody else, and then they just walk out and leave them. Some of you have known the bitterest betrayals. And you know, I think one time I was sitting down and thinking after a particularly painful betrayal, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep putting myself out there? Why do I keep going back? Why don't I just retrench and retreat to a few safe people? But then I thought to myself, Simon, you've got to think about Jesus, You've got to think about Jesus because he, I mean, look at this story we've just read. He was betrayed by everyone. Even his closest friends who said they would never betray him, betrayed him. The religious leaders betrayed him. People spat on him. People mocked him. They, they laughed in his face. They wouldn't believe a word that he was saying. His closest friend betrayed him with a kiss. He, was, he drunk to the dregs the, hum, the, the cup of human betrayal. He drunk it. And this is the fascinating thing about Jesus. Often we're... I mean, who here went into a relationship knowing that the person was going to betray you? You knew they were going to betray, and you thought, you know what? Come on, bring it on. I'll love you anyway. Anyone? No, we don't even know when we're going to be betrayed. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed. In the garden before his father, he said, take this cup from me. But then he said, no, but not my will. Your will be done. He knew the extent of the betrayal, and yet he still walked towards it. Wow. Wow. So when I think about the betrayal I've experienced, I've learned a couple of things. One is, firstly, I think about the fact that I've let people down. I'm sure in their eyes, betrayed them and not followed through and not done what I said I would do. I've let people down. And I remind myself that we're all just broken people doing our best to follow him. I remember the old saying that says, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. You're welcome. I should say that every joining course, shouldn't I? (laughs) I remember that and I remember too Jesus who took the ultimate betrayal and knew it was coming and still walked straight into it. If any of your heart is filled with bitterness because of places that you have been betrayed or people that have betrayed you, as we take communion together as we will at the end, I want you to remember Jesus and the fact that he stood in your place. Not only did he experience the full depth of human betrayal, he also paid the price so that forgiveness could be given. The price to restore every betrayed marriage relationship, the price to restore every betrayed friendship. He paid the price so that we could be free. It's a story about sacrifice. It's a story about, covenant, uh, it's about about betrayal, but it's also, we'll with this, a story about covenant. And we're going to take communion together, but I just wanted to finish with this covenant. And this story is set at Passover time. For those of you who are not familiar, thousands of years earlier, the people of Israel were slaves in the land of Egypt. And they were slaves there, and there was no escape until God sent a man called Moses. And Moses came... Uh, to declare that God was setting his people free. And God gave nine plagues onto the nation of Egypt to warn them that worse was coming if they wouldn't repent and let the people go, but they refused to. And so God then said, I'm sending a last plague, an angel of death, and it's going to come over the land and anyone who has got an oldest son will lose that son. But there is an escape. And this was applied to the Israelites and to the Egyptians, to anyone who would listen. And don't forget, they'd been through nine plagues already. So they knew that when Moses spoke, it meant business. There's an escape, he said, if you will take a lamb and you will sacrifice it, a Passover lamb, and you will take the blood and you will spread it on the doorposts and on the frame of your door. If you will do this, then the angel will pass over your house when it sees the blood and your child will be spared. And that's exactly what happened. Anyone who would listen to those words took the advice to repent and to take this lamb and to sacrifice it was spared of that disaster. So this is the time, thousands of years later, the Jews were still celebrating. In fact, still many still do to this day. They celebrate Passover. And, and what happened at the Passover was a, a lamb was roasted and prepared. That there was wine and unleavened bread set out, along with some herbs and dried fruit. And and what many people don't know is that there were four cups that were used at the Passover. And these four cups come from what God said to Moses. In Exodus 6, you can read it. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I will free you from your oppression. And will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and a great act of judgment. I will claim you as my people, and you will be and I will be your God. And so the the rabbis took from that passage four cups of wine that obviously they use glasses today, but at the time was cups. And these four cups were this. The first cup was called sanctification. I will free you from your oppression. The second cup was called blessing, and I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. The third cup was called redemption or thanksgiving. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and a great act of judgment. And the fourth cup was acceptance or consummation. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. And so Jesus is taking the Passover meal with his disciples, and he's working his way through these these drinks, these cups, as they eat the lamb uh, together. And this is what it says in verse 23. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. So this is the cup of thanksgiving, the third cup. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, and this is where he changes the meaning of Passover. This is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Jesus was following the Passover tradition and taking and drinking from the third cup, the cup of thanksgiving, the cup of redemption. But instead of saying this is symbolic of a lamb that was sacrificed thousands of years ago, he's saying, I am the new lamb. And instead of this cup representing the lamb's blood, this is is my blood that is poured out to cover over your sin. The Passover was about to change forever. It was no longer an agreement from the past. This was a new agreement. That's what the word covenant means. It was a new covenant between God and man. And it was this. If you will accept in your stead the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Christ, if you will accept that it covers you over, then death, which is coming to us all, will pass over you. (laughs) That you will not experience eternal death. You will, in fact, experience eternal life. Your sin will be washed clean forever if you will receive his forgiveness and this redemption. He makes a new covenant with each one of us if we will receive it. He drinks from the third cup. And some say, well, why can't God just forgive us? And you know what? If you've ever asked that question, I think perhaps you've not thought deeply enough about forgiveness. I used to ask that question until I began to think about forgiveness and realized if you steal from me, there's only two options. Either I get the money back from you or I have to forgive you. Either way, somebody pays. Either way, somebody pays for that. I either have to get that money back and you pay or I have to pay. That's what forgiveness means. When there is sin, somebody always pays. Jesus is saying, I'll pay for you. I will pay the price that you deserved to pay. Forgiveness always costs. So he does this radical thing. He changes the meaning of the third cup, but then he does something else. Notice this. He doesn't drink from the fourth cup. This is what happens. He says, I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So today, when we drink the communion together, remember that you are drinking the third cup. You are drinking the cup of redemption. You are drinking the cup of thanksgiving. You are giving thanks that there was a lamb who came to pay for your sin. But remember too that you are not drinking from the fourth cup. That the fourth cup is still to come. This is what it says in Revelation. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. The fourth cup is yet to come. <laughs> and when it comes, we will celebrate. Because this life of sin and death and betrayal and sacrifice will be over. <laughs> you guys are not happy enough about this at all. <laughs> this, this life will be over and we will drink it new with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The only one who was worthy to rule the only one who can fix this mess, the fourth cup is yet to come. When you take communion, remember, you're drinking the third cup, but there is another cup, a greater cup, that is yet to be drunk from. And it's the cup of acceptance. It's the cup of consummation where God declares, it is all over. (laughs) I have made it new, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. So as we take communion together, As we hear this, the beginning of the greatest story ever told, I want you to think about sacrifice. The fact that Christ sacrificed it all for you. And our fitting response, not because we have to, but because we choose to, is Jesus, you sacrificed all for me. What can I sacrifice for you? What does it mean for me? How can I follow you? I lay my life down again. I want to create a community where the greatest love is on display where the love of friends laying their lives down for one another is on display. Remember, it's about betrayal. And take a moment to think about where you've betrayed Christ, where you've let him down, where you've not followed through, where you've sinned and receive again his forgiveness. And take a moment to think about those who've betrayed you. And as you drink from that cup, remember, the blood that cleansed you is the same blood that would cleanse them receive his forgiveness and offer forgiveness to others and then think about covenant think about the fact that this is a temporary cup which is not hard because they're little plastic things that this is a temporary cup the third cup but there is a greater cup to come the cup when it will be all made new why don't we stand together shall we Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. That you poured out the greatest love onto this planet. A love that goes beyond any other love. We choose today to follow you. If there's any here who are not believers, I'd encourage you to take an opportunity to give your life to Christ. We choose today, Lord, to remember that though we betrayed you, you kept on coming. (laughs) You kept on standing. And we take a moment to remember your amazing covenant in your own blood. And we receive it today as a community together in Jesus' mighty name.